You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Live from my closet. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. I'm excited because my guest today is, I think, somebody you'll probably know from this space, Nick Sharma. What's up, Nick? How's it going, man? Thank you for having me. So I have a confession. I was trying to think about like what I could talk to you about, and you've done a million podcast interviews. And I was like, you know what? I don't I don't just want to spend an hour with you or whatever it's going to be asking you the same questions that everybody else is going to ask. So I have an idea where this is going to go. But what's up with you right now? Like it's three o'clock, you're in New York. I want to know like, what have you been working on today? Well, today I have been, there's a couple new brands that I've started working with over the last week and a half. And so today it's just been making sure that a lot of those, like basically their scopes are moving forward. It's a lot of like communication over communicating. And essentially making sure that all the pieces of the puzzle are slowly being put together in the right way. What's been happening in your world since like coronavirus hit? What's changed? I mean, even just start with maybe like personally, like did you used to go to an office? You have an office or now you're working from home or you've always worked from home? Like what's been the impact over the last month in your world? Yeah, I used to go to an office. Now, not doing that. But I used to work from home quite a bit. So I'm I'm very much used to it. Other than that, I moved like about a week or two into all this mess. So I'm in a new neighborhood and I was really excited to move here, especially because there's a cha matcha right downstairs. And so I was looking forward to going there every morning, but now that's closed. Other so you're, than that, you're living in a new neighborhood, but you're basically just like existing inside in a different space. You can't take advantage of any of the new, exactly. the new amenities in your new hood. Yeah, that sucks. Exactly. The only good thing is there's a Target nearby. So... It's convenient to go, like if I run out of something, I can quickly throw a mask on and walk over to Target in like five minutes. That's good. Okay, what's changed with the brands that you're working with, right? So you just mentioned one of them. Have you seen anything across the board or is it different for each client? Like, What's been the impact with with the companies you work with? Well, I think we are uh, starting to see this point where initially it was everybody pulled back on advertising pretty heavily, almost stopped everything. And really only the like, you know, things that would be considered necessities or essentials were really doing well. Things like water, toilet paper, food, you know, daily harvest, things like native deodorant. And then now it's at this point where we're like starting to, I think, see more brands take not advantage, but more brands are coming back online and figuring out ways to interact with consumers in kind of this like post-COVID world. So that's been interesting to see. You know, most brands are basically figuring out how to create incentives or put together plans to operate in this post-COVID world. And also a lot of the, you know, more retail type of brands that are big retail, big box businesses that do 100 to 250 million a year in in retail revenue are starting to figure out how to navigate the direct-to-consumer world. It's funny because it's almost made them like force them to make that shift faster, right? Like those are brands that probably would have had to go that way anyway. Do you think it's just like accelerated that change by necessity? Definitely. I mean, all the founders I've spoken to are basically saying like, yeah, I mean, this is something we've had on our 
mine to do. And it's something that, you know, we plan to do. But, you know, with retail POs pulling out, it's definitely a need to accelerate. Just because, so I'm new to this space. Like I've been doing marketing mostly in B2B software the last 10 years. But what does it take? I I thought you might know this. What does it take for, let's say, one of those maybe legacy retail brands that's doing 250 million in revenue? What does it actually take to get them? you know, set up online to sell? Is it like call up Shopify plus and get set up? Like I actually have no idea what that would even take. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a few main things. So if you zoom out all the way, it would basically be a uh, digital platform, media and creative. So digital platform would be your website, which includes everything from, you know, maybe apps you're using all the way through merchandising, bundling, etc., landing pages, email. And then your media is your paid media and your organic social, in this case, I would say, especially if you're trying to move fast. And then your creative has to be both engaging, educating, and driving conversion because you're trying to accelerate the process of getting buyers. So you need to have what I performance branding creative, which is essentially direct response creative that also builds brand equity or brand trust or educates the consumer on what the product is. The good thing about a lot of these older or bigger retail brands is that they have a ton of either market share or awareness. And so they can usually get moving pretty quickly in terms of generating revenue as long as they get their digital platform side set up in the right way. You mentioned creative, and I was going to ask you about this later, but it's a good time to bring it up now. Like I've heard in a bunch of things that I've seen you, you know, talk about, you know, listen to or, or read or whatever. You always talk about the importance of creative, and it's funny because like that seems like an obvious thing, but I don't think a lot of people pick up on that. And it's actually something that I know that you're a fan of, you know, Gary Vee, and he always talks about like creative being the variable for success. And I, I just love that narrative because I think it like it's so easy to get caught up in the, you know, weeds of performance marketing. But at the end of the day, like great creative is what's going to actually get somebody to stop in the middle of their Twitter feed or Instagram feed and, you know, hit your page and actually go and buy some. A hundred percent. I mean, I view if you're driving paid ads, like you're essentially playing a game of click through rate, right? So like, how do you get that first click? And then how do you maintain the clicks all the way through checkout? And, you know, I love playing with creative because I think there's probably a few key things, right? You have your the audiences you go after, you have the creative that you use to catch people's attention or get that click. And then you have the full site experience, which is everything from your landing page to your product pages, your cart, your checkout system, etc. So, you know, creative, everything on, on the experience side is pretty set and it's easy to keep it very standard once you kind of figure out the right flow there. And with creative, it just makes it like you can become a lot more agile in terms of testing audiences or reaching new audiences or figuring out new personas just because you can test different creative that this sounds all jumbled now but basically <laughs> no you're good this is what we're actually here to a do. good slide i have in a deck that i presented last week to the hustles group which was basically this slide of like you know think of like 10 different groups of people and they all have different flavors of ice cream in their hand. And as a marketer, you want to find everybody their own flavor of ice cream. You're not trying to sell one flavor to everybody. And so with creative, creative is the ice cream in that analogy. And so you have to find, you have to use different creative to get inside of different people's heads or get their attention. Yeah, I think like, and, and I think that the other thing you mentioned is important, which is like, you don't have to 
today, you don't have to pick between like, oh, sh- is this a, should this be direct response or should this be a brand channel? Like those two things have definitely morphed because of how good, you know, YouTube has gotten Facebook, Instagram, like it's like the rise of ad tech and all those platforms has made it possible to be able to do both. Where before, you know, if you're a marketer in the 60s and 70s, right, doing like classic, you know, direct mail, direct response, you only have like those two paths. You can't really blend them together. 100%. Although I will warn you, if you say that publicly, all the ad agency Twitter people will come <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> look, look, I think the best opportunity though is like, I think the thing that most people I think miss with that though is you can just take, if you go back and study some of the classic ads, like go pick up a copy of Ogilvy on advertising, go pick up a copy of Bill Burnbach's book, who was the guy that did all the VW and Porsche ads. Like you could actually just literally copy an ad out of one of those books. And I bet you that that's going to be an an amazing performing creative ad on Facebook or Instagram, because those ads, like the reason they work so well is because they're all built around like the timeless principles of consumer psychology and behavior and persuasion that like, I think a lot of people have hopped on the e-commerce direct response, you know, whatever train in marketing right now, but they don't actually understand the like the principles of consumer psychology. And I know that's something that you talk about all the time, which is one of the reasons I was excited to kind of like geek out on some of that stuff with you today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm big into, you know, I think, I think all advertising should be really good content and really good content is usually pretty timeless. So I completely agree with you there. Or just like think about yourself as an actual buyer. Like when have you, what's the last ad that yeah, really was? Yeah, well that's was, how you know, I always run. Yeah, that's how I always build campaigns or pages or whatever. It's in the mindset of, okay, if I was, if I was a consumer who didn't have that much time and wanted to get out of here as quick as possible, but also make sure that I understand everything to get out of this, you know, shopping experience in less than two minutes. Like what would it take? And that's usually how I I build that framework and then and then we build assets to map to that. Yeah, like empathy, this is something we've talked about on this podcast lately, which is like empathy is the most important skill for a marketer. It's always been that way because if you can't get inside the head of somebody you're trying to sell to, you're not going to be able to do it. But it's almost even more important now because of what's happening with, you know, coronavirus in the world that like you can't risk coming off as tone deaf. And so you really have to play into empathy now more than ever. Yeah, 100% agreed. Okay. So just, I was like messing around on Twitter before I'm sure you saw, and there was a great article that you were quoted in from Greylock today. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's worth doing it because it's still fresh. So I got, there's two, I'm going to read you two quotes and I want to ask you a couple questions on them from you. Okay. Number one is you talk about, I always advise brands to do some kind of product market testing, whether that's running ads to a pseudo brand or a pseudo store online and testing something basically. I love that idea. But here's my question. Yeah. I've heard people mention that before. I want to know, how do you actually, like, have you actually done this? Have you actually spun up a fake brand and tested something? Yeah, I have a couple live right now. Um, okay, how, how do you do it? I need to know. How do you do it? So the way I like to do it is more for idea validation and also basically use that data as leverage when you go out to, whether it's you're raising a little bit of cash to fund it or, you know, going to a CM. But basically... I mean, the way I always do it is you go to a landing page, it kind of has the value props or something that interests the consumer in wanting to put their email in. Once they put their email in, then it opens up into a quiz where you can collect some information. So if you're starting a skincare brand, let's say, 
then maybe you're collecting information on skin types and basically data points that give you an understanding of who that person is so that at the end of your you know, let's say three, $400 in ad spend, you can look at the results and kind of start to identify personas amongst everybody who submitted information. And on the other hand, if that gives you enough validation to go ahead and launch a brand, then when you actually launch the brand, you kind of have your first set of customers ready to go. Yeah, I love that playbook. Like, I love the playbook of building an audience first and then having that, hey, like, you just, you basically, like, the quiz play is genius because you're basically asking your potential customers about all of their pains. And then you can be like, oh, hey, by the way, we can solve this. Can I send you a sample? All right, but exactly. I mean, if you're starting a skincare brand, like, you can literally, you know, you collect information, you ask five questions around what people are annoyed about. And then six months later, you come out with the product that solves, you know, the biggest pain point. How do you give me like, cause just because I'm a marketer, and I love this type of stuff. Like, what are you actually setting up? A, you're, you're setting up a landing page in what? So the whole process is we wireframe it out. Then we work with a developer to make sure that based on the wireframe we put together, it's doable on the development side. Then we, it goes to a designer, designer mocks it up. Then it goes back to a developer, developer codes it up. And then we push it up on Netlify or Firebase by Google. And then basically point domain DNS details to that Netlify or Google Firebase. And then it's a live site. And then in a perfect world, you feed that into like a MailChimp or a Klaviyo where there's some kind of sequence set up. But if nothing else, then you collect data in a CSV and you have it handy when you're ready to reach out. This is like, this is next level. Did you ever read any like Dan Kennedy sales letter type books? No. This is like an old school, like direct response type of play. And I love that you're, you're taking it online. So you've actually done this yeah. from with your company and gone out and launched a successful brand. And now is this like, is this a playbook that people want to hire you for? Like, hey, go help me build out a brand. I would say, I would say definitely like, shouldn't to this, some extent. Like, shouldn't this be like a service? <laughs> yeah, it definitely should. It'd be a good service. It actually wouldn't be that hard to set up. I mean, you could literally set up a brand validation product or, or mini agency. But no, usually I, I'll do this for if, if I get really interested in a product or a category, I'll usually run it myself. Most of the times when we start working with brands, they are, they've already figured out what they're doing. And the only testing we'll do is very similar to that, but we would already have you know a brand's website, landing page, etc. And it would be more on the side of testing value props through different copy and looking at click-through rates. Got it. Okay. And what do you, like, how do you, my guess is like, are you going to spend a couple hundred bucks? You don't have like definitive data that says like, you should definitely go this. It, it's got to be some type of like gut feeling like, holy shit, the response to this was, was amazing. There's something super interesting here. Like my guess is it still has to be some, you know, 50%, you know, gut and 50% data. You're not just going to get some perfect number. That's like, yeah, go build this business now. Totally. Totally. I think, well, well, that's definitely one I think also looking at the engagement around it. So are people, you know, are they sharing the page on their own? Is there a, like, is, is there essentially hype around it? What are the messages you're getting from it? There's definitely a lot of things to look at outside just the, like the form completion. Okay. I don't want you to, I don't want you to have to expose too many secrets because I have, I have more questions that you're going to have to use those credits on uh, <laughs> in a little bit. But you also had a, you also had a quote about attribution, which I thought was interesting. Um, you said, here's a way to think about attribution. I just flew from New York, got here, checked into a hotel and came to the podcast room. But if you asked me how I got here, I'd say I took an Uber, but we're forgetting the flight, the Uber from the apartment to the airport and everything in between. All of that is attribution. So don't necessarily, so don't necessarily get the right answer all the time. 
attribution is attribution is definitely hard. But with that quote, like my guess is that you you also don't say like, oh, attribution doesn't matter. So I'm just curious, like how you approach attribution, knowing that going in. Um, in practice, usually the best way I've found to uh, look at channel attribution is basically run isolated tests and and look at it overall as a lift based attribution system. And then through those tests, you start to identify what percentage of the overall revenue or business is impacted by different channels. And so you can start to attribute ROAS um, based on a percentage of how impactful a channel is. Got it. Okay. So, so you're looking, you're looking at impact of, of specific channels versus just some overall raw attribution number. Correct. Okay. What, what, do you, what do you think the biggest mistakes are that like your, you know, up and coming DTC brand is, is making with attribution? Uh, well, the, the one I see all the time is, um, oh, display marketing doesn't work because nobody clicks on the ads, <laughs> but display, I mean, and this goes with a ton of ad strategies, but usually, um, you know, they, they all work together. So Display only works, for example, if you're running heavy Facebook prospecting. If you're not running Facebook prospecting and you're just relying on display, you're not really going to get much out of it. But if you're running just Facebook, you'll get a good amount. If you combine both, you might see, you know, kind of the perfect storm. Gotcha. Um, okay, so how how do you know all this about <laughs> building e-commerce brands? Like, you graduated high school in 2014. My my math is is your what are you are twenty four or you twenty three, twenty three, you're twenty three. Like how, how do you how do you go from graduating high school five six years ago to becoming like the D to C guy? You're on a Forbes thirty for, you know thirty under thirty. How how did you build this brand for yourself around direct to consumer? Um, honestly, it was very like not planned. Um, I'm just always like. A, I, I didn't really have many friends after high school. And so I just had a ton of free time. And I've always been very like curious and want to get my hands dirty or get involved. Um, and so, and then the other thing was that I wasn't a big reader. And so my thought process was always, if I can't, like if, if I'm not going to read a blog post or a book on marketing, let me just go find the best people. Um, and reach out and like build a relationship with them directly. And I would say like that still kind of holds true in the sense that like every day I'm talking to, um, you know, people that I admire in the space or people that do things that I want to be doing or people or, you know, they do things I find really fascinating. Um, and I've just set up a way to, to keep in touch. I guess I've just gotten really smart friends. I don't know. It's, it's nothing <laughs> special. It's just kind of like, you know, stay yeah. curious and, and just making sure that I, I keep smart people around me. Um, and you know, just stay like, I guess ambitious. Okay. But, but you've obviously like, it's not just like you've hung out with a lot of smart people and now you like run a company launching, you know, direct to consumer <laughs> brands. Like how did you go yeah. from, how, how did you go from, okay. Like if let me just, this is on your LinkedIn. Um, yeah. 
you you worked on social media strategies for A-list celebrities across the globe. Pitbull, Priyanka Chopra, Magic. Okay, how did you how did you get in? There was it some agency? Like I, I want to know, like how did you actually go from high school into high school? You're cold emailing people to learn to actually turning that into a job. Sure, that's fair. So <laughs> in high school, um, I just had terrible grades, and I always thought that um, that the the best path forward was you get really good grades, you go to a really good college, you get a really good job. And I was just like, well, if I'm not getting really good grades, then none of that's going to happen. So I got to figure out ways to make money. And so, um, and this is all just in my own head. Like nobody else knew this is what I thought. And so, um, so I started basically reaching out and just doing a bunch of cold emailing um, to like local businesses, see if they wanted to do like social media work with me and I would post their Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then what ended up happening was, uh, my cousin had a TV show called Andaz, which was on an international TV channel. And she held an event in LA for her show when I was running her show's Facebook page at the time. And so I went to the event, um, bumped into, uh, Priyanka Chopra's manager there. And I was actually kind of like the, uh, like a handler for one of the, one of the talents at the event. So it was anything from like getting her champagne to, you know, double-sided tape or whatever she needed that night. And her manager happened to also be Priyanka's manager. And so that's how we got connected. It was very like, um, it was super random, but we ended up getting connected there. I realized that later that weekend, um, Priyanka's manager was going to be at an event in San Francisco that I was also going to. Um, and so I figured out a way to figure out where she was at the event, which was at the reception backstage. And I, and I basically just snuck back there, um, and started chatting with her and kind of cornered her. And then, um, a couple weeks later, she introduced me to Pitbull's manager. And, and then that's kind of how I got into that space of music was pretty much through her and her name is Anjula Acharya. She's incredible. I love it. I think I feel like though the most important thing was that you actually were running the Facebook page, right? Because you actually like, like that feels like the first time you actually had to figure out marketing. And I think that that that's oh, totally sure. Sure. You didn't read anything in a book, but like to have to run that page and then you have lessons about what you learned for your cousin, then you can go take that totally. to other people. Like everyone that I've talked to that is now very good at e-commerce marketing, like actually learned by, by doing. And I just think it's an important story because I, I think that a lot of people see, you know, so this show we, we're focused on small, like small and growing brands. So you're, you the companies you work with are, are typically much, much bigger, but, um, I think there's this false belief that like, Oh, I, I'm not going to be able to, to learn this when it's like, no, no, you are. If you just think like a consumer and you actually pick up the tools yourself, you can figure this out. A hundred percent. And I mean, the, the thing that I've realized too, especially in this space or industry is like everybody is just one degree away. So if it's not, you know, if you can't find them on LinkedIn then you can email them, if you can't LinkedIn or you can't email them, then you can DM them. Um, and, and I've literally just met some of the coolest people, um, or gotten into, you know, pretty cool situations just by randomly reaching out to people. 
So, so you, you do that, like what led from, how did you take those, that experience and those jobs and actually go to start Sharma brands? Cause I think uh, I'm interested in like you building out this, what, what looks to me like, and I don't know a ton about your business, but like a consulting type of business where you're doing work for a couple of key clients, but then you're also, you know, you have your own stuff that you're sharing. H- how did you, like, when did you actually decide to make the leap and go and say, you know what, I'm going to go all in on this and I'm going to build my own, my own brand uh, around, you know, what I can offer to people. Um, well, in between, um, doing the social media work. And now I, I, um, I went to San Francisco. I, I'd spent a couple years working in the advertising technology, um, in the Bay area. And then I spent a couple years working at Hintwater where that was like, that was where I was, um, you know, director of D 2 C there. So I basically ran the D 2 C business and that's kind of where I learned a lot of it. Um, but also just by doing. And so, you know, that turned into a pretty big direct to consumer business. There was, I had a full team under me. So I learned, you know, it was building a team off of, uh, revenue. So it was basically when I got in there, there was myself and one other person and, you know, we were doing everything and then slowly you start, um, hiring people in. So I got good, good experience by just kind of walking into a situation where there wasn't a lot of resources. And then, um, then I went to VaynerMedia at the beginning of 2019 to build out a direct consumer team there. And then, um, you know, since last year, it's just been, just been consulting with some brands. Um, and even that, a lot of that is just kind of, sometimes you just learn things as you go. When, so how, how does this work now? Somebody reaches out to you and they say, Hey, we're, we're interested in, consult like in working with you what what services do you actually offer because at least from what i've seen it seems like you're actually building out sites and like actually doing the marketing for some of these companies yeah so it's very much like it's hard to describe because um because it is kind of all over the place it's very much like a, a i guess problem solving so you know, like for example, last year we had a telemedicine brand that said, um, usually they always come to me with a problem and my job is to figure out how to fix it. So last year we had a brand come to us and say, you know, we're spending 30 grand a day on Facebook. We need to get to 60 grand a day on Facebook, but we can't, we can't do that. Um, right now because our creative doesn't allow us to scale and keep the same acquisition costs. So can you come in and figure out how to do that? And basically now it's on me that in three months, there's, there's creative guidelines that are set. There's a whole new process that's set to do that um, and, and that they get to those levels. Um, and then you might have another instance where you know, there's um, a, a company that says, hey, we are launching, you know, we have this new product that, we, um, that we're coming out with. Maybe it's a beverage or a drink. And, um, we have the packaging done and we have, um, the product, but we don't have anything else. And so then we'll come in and help with everything from, um, you know, fulfillment to, uh, setting up a store to email to SMS to like whatever, whatever they, they want to get up and running. Um, it's essentially our job to jump in and make it happen. Um, in other cases, I mean, that's, that's what I would say is like majority of them is essentially launching brands. Um, but, but 
you know, like more recently, it's been, we run a massive retail business and we need to get online ASAP. And so it's, it's a lot of like platform stuff, um, as well as creative and media. And do you do like, do you have a team? I do. Yeah. So what happens? Some, somebody comes to you and says like, um, Hey, we need, we need a website in, in two months. What is your, what is your, what does your process look like? I'm interested in how you think about the website, how you get someone to design it. Like, is that all done by you? No. So, so if we're designing a site, um, well, it, it still goes through us because the idea is that a lot of times, um, if it's something like a website, we play more of a quarterback role. Whereas if it's something like building out an acquisition funnel or launching creative, then we'll just do that in house. But if it's full on building out a website, um, then we, we, we almost partner up and play like the quarterback and do a lot of the directing, a lot of the, you know, setting up, um, working more on the UX and, and letting the client, uh, focus more on the UI. Got it. Okay. So they're going to come to you with like the visual brand, but you're going to actually like set up the funnels and the, you know, and the offers and the pop-ups and the landing pages and all that. Yeah. And that also, you know, includes, uh, like, you know, reaching out to companies like Yapo and recharge and inquire, like getting all the right integrations done, um, in a way that is cost effective for the client. How do you think about, how do you think about channels? Like, do you have a, do you have a playbook of like, all right, cool, you're going to launch a, this is a clothing brand. Um, that means you need email, you need, you know, this, like, do, do you have like a, a not that it can be cookie cutter for every brand, but do you have like a, a, a recipe for, for where you, where most people should get started or that at least you roll out for them? Yeah. I mean, I always recommend, um, to start on a few main channels, email for sure. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and, and usually like influencer. Um, I think more and more as we work with brands, we're seeing that SMS is becoming a lot more fun uh, and useful um, as well as, you know, testing new channels like snap or, or TikTok. but usually Facebook, Instagram, email, uh, and influencers are probably like the four main to start. And then if, if the brand can, um, then also a good amount of earned media. Got it. I like it. It's simple. Facebook and email. Um, I want to, I want to, we probably go for like another five, 10 minutes and I want to just riff on some chat. I want to get basically pick your brain to get kind of a, a build a swipe file off of this. So, um, if you, I want to give you a bunch of different channels and, and you tell me like, if you could copy, if you were giving me advice of who I should go copy and get like a masterclass on wh- which brand is that? So who should I, um, who should I copy for, for SMS? I know you've been early, uh, on text, but like who are maybe one or two brands that you think do a great job of this that I should go steal from? Um, Judy, for sure. I think Judy has been killing it with SMS. Um, and then I would say empathy wines is another great one for SMS. Yeah. I think, I think what, what Gary V does with text, uh, is something that a lot of people don't understand, which is like, just because it's a new marketing channel doesn't mean that you should only send marketing messages. Like if the only way you use SMS is to send offers then you're doing it wrong where, you know, I, I can't tell you how many days I just get a text from him. That's like, Hey, hope, 
hope you're doing, you know, like, I hope you have a great day, right? Something like that, obviously written as him, but like, it's those little, those little touches that I think they do such a good job of that a lot of people miss and just go straight for the, the discounts or offers. A hundred percent. All right. Here's another one. Um, who should I copy for, for email? Who's doing the best job with email? Ooh, hydrant. Hydrant. Why? Um, they just have just the most beautiful emails. And, um, actually their, their email team was so good. I ended up, um, hiring them for a ton of brands myself. Um, they're just, they're so good in the sense that they're extremely on point with design and brand. Um, they're extremely contextually relevant, whether it's a a content newsletter or an offer. And, um, they're just all like, there's just never a problem with their emails. Their gifts are always working. Their button sizes are always right. Like there's just a lot of little things I notice. I guess. Um, their screen formatting is always right. They just nail it every time. Love it. Uh, who, who gets, um, social organic social. Ooh, not pot. A hundred percent, not pot by far the best organic social I've seen. Um, in a long time. And it's because they, for the longest time, we're not allowed to advertise anywhere. And so because of that, they're forced to become extremely creative with organic social to, mm. you know, essentially drive awareness and then drive, drive conversions. Um, but NotPod does a really good job with social. Um, who else does really good social? Uh, oh, Magic Spoon does pretty good social too. Magic Spoon, I have been seeing, they, they must have, Magic Spoon is now in everybody's email, that Tim Ferriss's email signature, Ryan Holiday, they must be, they must have like a big um, email blitz right now, which is a good, which is a good fit for them. Yeah. Um, what about, okay, so, so not pot, organic, social, good one. What about YouTube? YouTube, um, let me look up the name of it. YouTube's tough because you have to um, find, the the good a good mixture between um content and also conversion um but your resident home does a great job with youtube i think um trying to think who else does a really good job on youtube i would say grubhub does a pretty good job on youtube like they Mm. they've they've really done a good job with um their jingle the second you hear their jingle you know it's a seamless or grubhub ad Mm mm-hmm that's the, that's audio. That's the Vayner media in you with audio, the audio branding. Yeah. The sonic branding. All right. Um, who, who uh, give me, um, an example of, of a good partnership. I know you, you, you are a big fan of partnerships, but, uh, what's an example of, of two brands that have really knocked it out with a, with a good partnership. Um, two brands that have completely knocked it out with a partnership. I would say one would be Postmates and Infatuation. I think that mm. one is absolutely genius. Um, and if you don't live in New York or LA or San Francisco, it's basically the Infatuation is a media company that is essentially a non-biased Yelp. So it's all editors that um, basically review restaurants in the most like exciting and eccentric way. And then if they rank them as a top restaurant, if, if the infatuation ranks that restaurant as a top restaurant, it has its own section in Postmates. And so I think that one's great because there's a lot of cross audience sharing. 
And for the people who understand what the infatuation is, it makes the Postmates experience much easier. Um, and then I would say, outside of that one, um, well, the Louis Vuitton Supreme is probably one of my favorites. Um, I think the Virgil Abloh Chacha Matcha is another great one. Where they did the Virgil Abloh did the cups, the sweatshirts, um, the sleeves for Chacha Matcha. That one turned I'm, out really I'm just, cool. I'm just, I'm just letting you go because usually, usually when you ask people this question, they're like, um, uh, <laughs> you got multiple <laughs> examples for for each one. I love it. Um, let, let's do. I got, I got two more. Well, one of them is actually a question about the question that I forgot to ask you about SMS. Um, I've heard oh, that. I'll just quickly you, say the last really yes. good partnership one is SeatGeek and David Dobrik. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah. Shout out to um, SeatGeek for that. That's awesome. What? Oh, this is what I'm going to say. Here we go. About SMS, somebody told me that you have stopped using email capture uh, on any like website pop-ups and you're only getting phone number. Is that true? Um, yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, I don't have a legit website yet. So, and it's kind of in development now. So hopefully that comes soon. But secondly, oh, I for, just realized for you, for you. Yeah. Or are you talking about a brand? Okay. No, I, yeah. Like if you're giving advice to me as a brand, are you telling me you get, oh, yeah. get emails? Or get, well, get I think numbers? it depends, right? Like with Judy, we completely eliminated email capture because, um, because we've realized that SMS you know, for a brand that talks about preparedness, we want to be able to reach our customers in any kind of situation. If, uh, if you mm. know, the, um, uh, like towers go down, cell towers go down, you'll be able to get an SMS. You won't be able to get an email. Um, and so, so that's one reason. But secondly, like Judy is, Judy's great in the sense that and the reason it works for Judy is because we're constantly pushing tips and, and um, like tricks around safety, preparedness, how to be prepared, things you can do. And so we're, we're trying to like address as many people as possible, um, more so to be helpful. Um, but that might not be the case for all kinds of brands, right? Like if you sell, if you sell um, iPhone chargers, then there's probably no reason for you to collect SMS, whereas mm. email would be a lot more effective. Yeah, I love it. That's good. It's good. A good playbook. It matches. The, it matches the brand. Like fits perfectly with the brand. Um, oh, all right. Who 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 has the most like delicious website that, that you like right now? Um, most delicious website. That's a good question. I would say, um, I would say the Judy site is great. I love the flashlight feature that we have there. Um, outside of Judy, Magic Spoon is a site I love. Uh, Chacha Matcha is another site I love. Um, what else are great? Did you have, did you have the same people, did you have the same people do the, um, Magic, uh, not the Magic Spoon, Chacha Matcha site as the Judy site? Yeah. Yes. I love the, 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 the colors that whoever that is, is amazing. I don't know if you can shout them out or not, but it's amazing. Yeah, they, well there's this one guy named Ryan. Um, he's, he's an absolute secret weapon. And, um, like he's, I think one of the most underrated designers in the world. He's just a beast, but 
Um, other good sites would be, yeah, other good sites. Um, I'm not really good with these on the spot. No, it's good. You don't have, dude, you can't give me a hundred examples. This is perfect. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's, 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 let's do this one. This will be the last one, which is, um, who, who's done a good job with it, with influencers and not, not like, um, A-list, you know, A-list brand name, celebrity promo, but like who, who's integrated influencers into, into what they're doing where it feels supernatural and just like part of the, the marketing. Um, twice toothpaste does a great job of that. Um, they, they have a massive just network and community of, of people who like love posting their product because they enjoy the value prop of the product as much as any consumer would. And so a lot of the, their like quote unquote influencer stuff, um, ends up being organic content that influencers post. Um, so I think that's one good one. They also have a good program set up with like, uh, product refills and whatnot. Um, Magic Spoon also does a really good job with uh, with community and influencers. Um, and for a last one, I would say I would say a lot of these CBD brands have been doing a pretty good job with tapping into influencers. HelloFresh is also another good example mm. where they they do what I used to do at Hint, which is you find an influencer, you create custom content, and you run it using their pages or their handles. Um, so it comes off as a lot more authentic. Love it. All right. Our mission is going to be to somehow chop up all of this into like a one minute. I think this would be a sick clip, which would be if we chopped up all those, we had your thing, the brand, the example, that mm -hmm. would be amazing. Um, um, now that I put this in the episode, it basically has to happen. Um, Nick, this was awesome. This was exactly what, what I, I hoped it would be. Not that you, you need the plug, but people can go follow you on uh, Twitter at Mr. Sharma. And, and if you want to shout out your, your phone number, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Anybody can text me. My cell number is 917-905-2340. Love it. All right, Nick, thanks for coming on uh, this episode of the e-commerce marketing show and shout out to Wilson from Kettle and Fire who, who initially connected oh, us. Oh yeah, big uh, shout out to Wilson. Love Wilson. Love Wilson. And, and that's a good example of what you mentioned before. Like you just, you, you're always one degree, uh, one degree away. He was like, hey, that was fun. Oh, totally. Who do you want to know? Wilson and I have been chatting all morning. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So all right, Nick, thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you later. Thank you.